If you would open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Let's pray. Fathers, we bow before you this evening. We thank you again for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would examine our hearts, examine our lives by your word. We ask, Lord, that you would give to us a strong desire to want our lives to be examined by your word. We pray also, Lord, that you give to us a strong desire that our lives would be continuously conformed to your word. We ask, Lord, that it would be the desire of our heart to be like Christ in every way. The Father, we would not be satisfied with the small improvements in our lives, but Lord, that we would desire strongly to manifest the character of Christ in the way that we deal with people, the way that we handle various circumstances. We want our lives, Father, to be lives that are lived in a way that point to Christ, lives that reveal that we are truly committed to Christ, lives, Father, that will be able to communicate who Christ is to others. It's our desire, Lord, that Our lives will never be an obstacle to anyone ever understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, Lord, we want to be the instrument used in your hand to clearly proclaim the gospel of Christ, even to be used by you in bringing those that are lost to Christ. And so, as always, we thank you, Lord, for your word. May it always be precious to us, Father. But, Father, we ask that it would not only be precious to us in the sense that we have an emotional attachment to your word, that, Father, we would be deeply committed to it. That, Father, we would see it as being truly what it is, food for our soul. And we do thank you and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10, Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplications in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. This evening we'll be be looking primarily at verse 18, where he gets close to the end of the section where he talks about praying always with all prayers. Remember over the last several weeks, which was actually uh, at least five weeks ago, was the last time that I was up here preaching on a Sunday evening and we were in the book of Ephesians. But remember that when it comes to the armor of God, it's just another way of describing to us that we are to put on Christ. That's really what, what the emphasis is, that we are to put on Christ. That is the essence of each aspect of the armor that is described here by Paul. And this armor has a very close association with prayer. In other words, prayer lays hold 
on Christ because we're told in verse 10 that we are to be strong in the Lord. And the way that's going to happen is not only in the aspect of putting on Christ, it's going to happen because we come to Christ in prayer. The kind of prayer that draws on Christ is prayer that derives its purpose, its commitment, its passion, its values, and its priority by the Word of God. Many years ago, and this would be back in the uh, 70s, late 70s, I was reading through a, a book that uh, was probably, uh, probably 380 pages, but it was, it was articles written by various individuals who were involved in missions. Some of the articles were written by individuals who had been on the mission field for maybe 30 years or so. Uh, some of the articles were written by individuals who were heads of mission organizations or those who were teaching on missions in various Bible colleges and uh, uh, seminaries. And I cannot remember who wrote this one article, the article that uh, I remember the most vividly in my mind. And what the article was basically about was the lack of prayer. And of course, his emphasis was on missions. Why, why do we fail to pray for missions? Why do we fail to pray for missionaries uh, the way that we ought to and, and things associated with that? But what really intrigued me was when he was dealing with just the aspect itself of why it is that Christians seem to struggle so greatly with prayer. And he went through several different, um, not really studies, but you know, kind of questionnaires that Christians have been asked through, through the decades you know, when it comes to uh, if there was an area in, in your Christian life that you feel that you need to improve on, what would be that area? What would be the three areas? And uh, every single list that individuals came up with, regardless of what country they were in, uh, regardless of what region of the country, of this country they were in, there was always one consistent thing in, those, in the top three, and it was always prayer. There's always the desire uh, or lamenting that the individual did not pray enough. And so this was a very straightforward article, and he gave basically two main reasons why um, we fail to pray as we ought to, or maybe you could say, well, we, we feel or we believe that we don't, do not pray as we ought to. And those two things was number one, and this is why I said it was very straightforward, very hard-hitting. He said the main reason why we don't pray as we ought to is because we don't care. And I do believe that the reason why what I was reading resonated with me was because I knew he was spot on. I knew he was. I, I knew he was when it came to my life. And I knew he was in the lives of many individuals, even though I was a very young guy, people that I had talked to when we had talked about prayer and prayerlessness and that kind of thing. And in the end, it was just, it's hard to get around that, that, you know, those individuals that you truly care about, you're, you're going to pray for them. But then underneath that was the main reason why we don't pray. It even supersedes that one because it kind of feeds that one, the reason why we don't pray because we don't care enough. And he said, it's this. He said the main reason he believed that we don't pray is because deep down we are not convinced that it will make any difference at all. And that really resonated very strongly with me because how many times are we shocked when God answers prayer? You know, it, it's, we should be happy when God answers prayer. We may be surprised at the way that God answers prayer, but... Sometimes, and maybe it's often, we seem to be not surprised by the way he answered prayer, but that he answered it. 
It's almost like we're saying, I just can't believe it. And even though we may not go that far, at least in, in expressing ourselves in that way, um, I think we should actually be a little more disappointed. Not that God's ever done wrong, but we should be disappointed that our prayers aren't answered. When I say that, uh, again, we're not, I'm not accusing God of failure in any way. I'm talking about our sense of expectation, our, our desire to see, our belief that God does, it pleases God to work through prayer. And so when it comes to what Paul's talking about here, if we are individuals who are, whether you want to say you're struggling or maybe you're not even struggling in the area, we don't really think it's going to make any difference, then obviously it's not going to make any difference because we're not praying. And maybe a large amount of the difficulty that we have in really putting on the arm of God or putting on Christ is because we really don't really pray much about it because we don't really think much is going to happen. So I think we need to kind of hold that in our minds uh, as, as I work my way through the things that we're going to be discussing this evening. Uh, perhaps we need to spend some time confessing to God. And it's not that God doesn't know that's where we're at. But we need to, to confess our sin to the Lord that we don't believe. Uh, it's not that we don't believe God isn't capable because most of us absolutely believe that God is capable. In fact, we would probably say we know that God is capable of answering our request, of answering prayer. We, we know that. Uh, but it just seems as we live life and as life kind of moves on, we just kind of have in that sense that it's just not going to make that kind of a difference. Even when it comes to the sovereignty of God, which I believe in fully in the sovereignty of God, we sometimes take a non-Christian approach to sovereignty and we turn it into fatalism. And what we sometimes act, the way we act, is if we believe that it, whatever will be, will be. That things are set uh, and you know we don't have... Uh, the understanding of God, obviously. Yes, we do know imperfectly that God knows all things that are going to happen. We also know that God uh, causes and allows everything that happens, absolutely. But there's never this idea presented in Scripture or even hinted at that somehow that because all that is true, we should not pray. And it's very clear that, again, it does please God when we pray, and it pleases God to work through our prayers, how all of that comes together in a nice, tight, little, you know, clear paragraph understanding, I can't give that to you. But I just know that's what the scripture teaches. So when it comes to what we're talking about this evening, I want to I bring out, I think, about nine things about this, about prayer, that I think are important. Number one, kind of, kind of, if you take a step back from what Paul says here in chapter 6, and you look at everything that Paul has written in the scripture, and in particular in the book of Ephesians, Paul does underscore how vital prayer is, and he does so by really his own modeling, by the way he prays. We have his prayers in the word of God, where he, he prays for individuals. He tells them that he's praying for them. He says that he prays for them often, and we see then the specifics of the request that he does. Uh, he, uh, several times, he has moved to interceding for those that he is writing to. His prayer reflects how the word of God um, filled his requests for them and his desire to see God working in their lives. So we have the example of Paul. Paul, who, if you think about it, is, uh, some might say, I don't know if it's good for us to put labels on in individuals this way, but some might say that he's the greatest apostle that ever lived. 
I, I'm not sure that we should categorize him that way, but he's certainly one of the most well-known. It was used by God in many obvious ways. Um, but if he showed us by his behavior that he desperately needed to depend upon God in prayer for success in ministry, for success in living life, then who do we think we are? I mean, the guy wrote most of the New Testament. You know, and so are we somehow say, claiming by our lack of, of prayerfulness that, well, it's almost like we're saying this, even though we probably would never say this. Well, Paul may have needed that much prayer, but I mean, I don't. Now, we would never say that. That would be seen as being the height of our arrogance. But we sometimes kind of live out things that we would never say. Uh, and so, again, it's not our intent. And we don't intend to be, uh, you know, arrogant in that way. But in our ignorance, uh, we can come across as being very arrogant. Secondly, uh, when, when Paul writes about here in chapter 6 about the armor of God and, and talks about these things specifically, about putting them on, he then breaks into, when you get into verse 18, where there is this sense of urgency to pray. You know, praying relates to every aspect of the armor. Even though he doesn't mention prayer uh, here until, in this chapter, until he gets to verse 18, I think we can see in the rest of Scripture, Paul demonstrates, the Bible demonstrates, that prayer is basically a saturating element in the armor. That phrase isn't original with me. I don't know who said that. I got it from somewhere. But anyway, I just thought it was a great, great sentence that, that the rest of Scripture demonstrates prayer to be a saturating element in the army, in the armor. So there, again, as we think about the armor of God and we talk about or putting on Christ, that needs to be a part, really, of our, of our prayer life on, on a regular basis as we come to God in prayer. Prayer should saturate each part of the armor because when you look at each part of the armor, basically he's what he's talking about in the various aspects of life. So again, it's evident in Paul's use of the word all in verse 18. Again, what he's saying in verse 18 is Christians should be praying at all times in the Spirit. The all times would include all the times you express truth, righteousness, and the rest of all the positive qualities. Now let me say something real quick about prayer which is important because we sometimes, um, we, we can move into error this way. Because we understand, <clears throat> at least intellectually, the importance of prayer and how much we need prayer, and how weak we are when it comes to praying. And then we read stories of some of the great believers in the past who have spent hours in prayer. We then kind of develop this idea in our minds that either we spend an hour or two in prayer or not at all. Because somehow if we can't spend an hour or two in prayer, we're not really, we're not really praying. Okay, that's not in the Bible, by the way. Yes, there are great Christians before us that have spent incredible amounts of time in prayer. But this idea that it must be one or two hours or nothing is really a foreign idea. Remember that prayer is very much interconnected to this idea of the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. So let's look at the husband and wife relationship. So you get up in the morning. Let's say it's the husband. He's getting ready for work. And your wife is up. You don't say this to yourself. I'm just not going to say a word to my wife because we cannot engage in any long, meaningful discussion this morning, so I'm just going to ignore her. Do we ever do that? Well, you might, but then you hear about it later. All right? All right. But the point is, is, isn't it in our relationship with our spouses many smaller conversations throughout the day? 
If all of a sudden, because I know we live in, the, you know, we're all all teched out now. So if, if all of a sudden you get a you get a, a text, you don't say, well, I mean, I really can't text a meaningful diatribe in response to this. I'm just going to ignore it. Because you hear about that later too. So the point is, is that this idea that we must engage in only long, meaningful conversations or have no conversations is really kind of a, it's a funny idea. Yet we sometimes approach prayer that way. Like somehow that if, if I'm going to be spiritual and I'm really going to let God know that I'm serious, this is how I must pray. Well, it's good to pray that way. But please don't ever for a moment think that if you can't do that, then you do nothing. And perhaps we would do better if we had many short conversations with the Lord throughout the day. That's really, it's, it's because when, you, when you're doing that, you are also engaging in this idea of being, reminding yourself that you are constantly dependent upon him, that you become accustomed to coming to God about everything. It's, it's an important, it's a great habit to develop. I do think that in time that you will have those moments, you will have those times where you will spend much longer periods of time in prayer. You know why? Because it's just a natural outflow of this day-to-day conversations that you have with God. Once again, husband and wife. You know, again, if you were to say, well, I'm going to always ignore her unless we can have a two-hour conversation, you're never going to have a two-hour conversation. Now, you might have a two-hour argument, but you're not going to have a two-hour conversation. However, if you have these daily conversations, these short conversations throughout the day, and that's just the regular habit of communicating to each other about all kinds of things, then the two-hour conversation comes what? Pretty natural. It's a very natural thing. You, you know, we sometimes if you don't do any praying at all, very little praying at all, and all of a sudden somebody says, well, you know, I pray for two hours every day, we're thinking, oh my gosh, who can do that? There's just no way. You suddenly, you suddenly decide you're going to pray for two hours, and after ten minutes you're done. You can't think of a thing to pray for. You imagine if you're having a conversation with your wife or your husband, and it's supposed to go two hours, and after ten minutes you've got nothing else to say. That's just really awkward. There's going to be, you might say, we need to talk to Pastor Bob, <laughs> or something like that. You know, we need to get some help here. But again, if you have those conversations on a regular basis, the two-hour conversation is easy. It's easy. If all of a sudden there's an emergency, you know, you don't feel awkward calling the, the, your, your spouse up and saying, well, I mean, I know we haven't really talked at all for five days, but I really need to talk to you now. Like some people kind of feel when all of a sudden some catastrophe hits and it's time they know they need to pray. And remember, I think I've told you before a story where one time I was uh, with an individual and um, someone in his family had gotten very, very ill. We were, we were at the hospital and when we began to pray, he prayed first and he actually introduced himself to the Lord again. As if God had somehow forgotten. I think he did that just kind of um, self-consciously because he, it had been so long since he had prayed it was almost like he was thinking somehow God had forgotten who he was. So he was like, Lord, this is, I won't tell you his name, Lord, this is so-and-so, and then he kind of got into it. But when, again, when you're, there's a normal conversation going, you don't have, there's times when it's important, you don't have to go through all the nice greetings. You just, you just get into it. So again, so don't, don't allow yourself then, to, as we talk about these things, to somehow think that, it's this, it's this long one, two, or three-hour period, and if you can't have that, then there's no prayer at all. And somehow, this, the things we talk about might, it might make you feel guilty, or you might think, well, I can never do that, and you just dismiss the whole thing. 
Don't allow yourself to get into that position. Listen to what these things are saying. See how Paul prays. Most of the prayers that you see in the Bible, they're all really pretty short. And I'm not against long prayers, but most of the prayers are pretty short. Uh, And so we can pray in very meaningful ways, uh, short prayers. Just like, again, many of the conversations you have with your wife or with your husband or with your children may be short, but that doesn't mean they're not meaningful. doesn't mean they're not important. So please uh, keep, keep that in mind. So again, as I said before, uh, again, Paul uh, t- basically tells us here as, as he jumps into this, there's a sense of urgency uh, here when he talks about uh, the armor as he breaks into this idea of us praying and praying at all times. Thirdly, when it comes to what we're talking about, the Bible lets us oftentimes look in on different believers praying that God will strengthen them or they express either jubilation or joy over his power that's been realized, and they all do this through prayer. Let me read you a couple of passages. I'm going to read from Psalm 138, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. This is what it says. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple, and I will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Then verse 3. When I called, you answered me. You made me bold and strengthened my soul. So here again, as he's praising the Lord, he mentions that God has answered his prayer directly, and the way that God answered his prayer is God made him bold, and God strengthened his soul. And so there's this this jubilation over the, the, the strength that God has given him, over the power that God has given him through prayer. In Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 29, it says, Now, Lord... Look on their threats. This is after the member of the um, apostles. They've been beaten a few times. And this time they, they were uh, beaten. They were released. Uh, and um, because, you know, they really couldn't find anything to stick. And so they, they go back to uh, the church. And it says, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Again, I think we've pointed this out before when we went through the book of Acts. And that is, there is no prayer here. There's no request for God to keep them safe. There's no no request here for God to get back at their captors. There's there's none of that. What they're asking for is that they will have boldness. That that whatever the threats are, that it's not going to affect them. That they're going to be bold to speak what? Your word. And by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And again, they want signs and wonders to be done so that it can authenticate the message of Christ. It says, and when they prayed, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what happened? And they spoke the word of God with boldness. It's amazing. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. God answered their prayer directly. But you see what they're praying for. And remember that this is very close. Maybe maybe it's exact. Uh, We've mentioned several times before, as we pray for the persecuted church, and a lot of times uh, what we've done, done the past three years is in the month of November, Uh, We focus on the persecuted church throughout the world and talk about uh, some of the countries and what they're going through. When it comes to their prayer requests, what what are they asking us to do for them? What is it they ask us to pray for for them? Uh, You'll find it very similar to what the church was here praying for in the book of Acts. They're not praying for release from their captors. They would like to be released. That's that's not in the top ten. What they're asking Uh, us to pray for is that God would give them boldness to seek the word. They're asking that God would continue to fill their heart with love for those who have arrested them and for those who beat them, for those who torture them. 
They ask that God would enable them to, to remain consistent, to live consistent Christian life. It's amazing what they're asking us to pray for. It's, ex- it's really right out of what the Word of God says. And I believe the reason why their request is that is because what these believers do is they feast on the Word of God. That's all they got when they're there. And, and, they, and, they, and they draw their wisdom from what the Word of God has to say. And they see how the church prayed. And, and so they're moved by God. It's a genuine request by them that this is what they're asking us to pray for. It's, it's a very, very uh, non-Western I, I approach to prayer. Well, very non-Western ideas, you know, because ours are very different. And we need to think much more biblically uh, when it comes to these things. So God's people, we, and we're God's people, remember, we live by the power of God. We know that intellectually, but we don't always live that out consciously. We live our lives by our own ability. Our, you know, we live our life by the seat of our pants. We live our life by the wisdom of our experiences. And I'm not saying all those things are a waste, but we actually end up living like the world, except we go to church on Sunday. We depend upon ourselves. We're praying on a regular basis. The small conversations that we have with God throughout the day reminds us that we cannot live in the way that God has commanded us to live on our own. We're unable to do so. And here's the thing to keep in mind. You might even, for a while, you may even for a long period of time, be able to live morally right before God and others apart from prayer but there's no power in your life. Because the power in our life is from the Spirit of God. The power in our life is the ability to have an impact on others. It is not that um, I, I have moral authority to speak because I'm moral. Now, there's some truth to that just in the world. You know, the individual who's talking about, for example, faithfulness in marriage, if that individual is unfaithful, they, they kind of lose the authority to speak on that because of their unfaithfulness. So we all understand that to a degree. But remember now that what we should desire to do, what we should desire to see, is the power of God being manifest, the impact in the lives of the individuals by the lives that we live. And the only way that's going to happen is, is by you and I, again, putting on Christ, and it is doing so in prayer, praying throughout the day, off and on throughout the day, continuing to depend upon God. And in that, then, is the power of God. So yes, the power of God is manifested in our obedience, absolutely. But remember that obedience is not just obeying the moral commands of God. It's obeying all the commands of God, and part of that is what? It's prayer. Living in dependence upon God. We, again, you know, the, the Bible tells us that marriage is to be a picture of the relationship of Christ and the church. And so we need to look at marriage again. And one of the things that helps us to get... For a marriage to last, once again, is what? Dependence upon each other. There's a healthy interdependence upon each other. We no longer even try to to get through life on our own. We're not trying to do that any longer. We are, you know, even though we may depend upon each other in varying degrees, the whole, one of the whole points of being married is to do life together. So you no longer want to, to face all these things on your own because you're strong and you're tough. Even if you are strong and tough, tough, you want to share these things with your wife or your husband, and you, you want to do it together. That's the idea. And so here, again, we want to make sure that we're depending upon God in this way, and our lives then will manifest the power of God, 
which when I talk about the power of God here in this context, that doesn't mean that you're going to perform miracles. You're not going to heal anyone. You're not going to raise somebody from the dead. The power is, is having that impact in life, being used by God so that when you speak the gospel, they're convicted of their sin. When, when you speak the gospel, show the gospel, they, they listen with interest and they, and they recognize their need of Christ. And if God is gracious, they repent and believe in Christ. So again, God's people, we live by power. It's the power of God. And again, that's why he says, put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. Let me read you the words of a song that we often sing. Uh, uh, the song is entitled Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. Too often the sad part about that song is our only concern is whether we're standing or sitting. But let me read you the words. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, his army shall he lead, till every foe is vanquished and Christ is Lord indeed. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, the trumpet call obey, Forth to the mighty conflict in this his glorious day. Ye that our men now serve him against unnumbered foes. Let courage rise with danger and strength to strength oppose. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. And here's the words I want you to remember. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. Ye dare not trust your own. So when you know you're going to talk to someone about the gospel of Christ, even though you probably know the gospel very well if you don't utter a short little prayer you don't have to drop to your knees and and cry out to God with a loud voice it's not a bad idea but you don't have to do that but if you don't utter a prayer asking God for his grace for his wisdom for his strength so are you thinking that you can just do all this on your own again you might be able to intellectually and intelligently express the gospel but where's the power going to come from I, I need God to work on that person's heart because I can't make them feel guilty. I can't convict them of sin. I can't convict them of the truth of the gospel. The power is in the message of Christ. Why is that? Well, it's because it's, it's born by the Spirit of God. Now, God may still, in spite of our failure, bless, and individuals may still be convicted of their need of Christ as we share the gospel. But we certainly shouldn't make that our habit. And so we need to make sure that we understand that the arm of flesh is going to fail us. And I would say that when it comes uh, to your children and to your grandchildren, when you have opportunity to talk to them about the gospel, when you read to them from the Bible, I trust that you're asking the Lord to open their hearts and their minds. Because you can go through that for years and years and years, and it will fall on deaf ears. Remember, our children and our grandchildren are born spiritually dead. They're not going to respond to the gospel because you love Jesus. They might say that when they're little, when they're four, when they're five, when they're six. But how many times have individuals shared stories how they're convinced that their child became a Christian at age four, five, or six? And then at age 14, they're doing all kinds of stuff. And I don't mean just committing acts of sin. I mean, they, they, have, they, have, they, have, they have gone, and they, they're not just wandering. They have exploded at the gate towards sin. Now, again, I'm not saying that in every single case it's because of this. But we cannot eliminate this idea that sometimes what happens is we go through the motions. There are, there are good motions, but we go through the motions. It's kind of like uh, working out. You know, two people can go to the gym. They can do the exact same workout every day. And one can get a great deal out of it, and the other one can get nothing out of it. Because one's just going through the motion, 
and the other one is putting everything they have into it. And so if you want to put everything you have into explaining the Word of God and, and, and trying to help your children or grandchildren understand the Scriptures, then we need to pray. That, that's how you know that you're all in. And it's important that we lean on Him in that way. Fourthly, there are many examples in the Bible, once again, where the Word of God, in the Word of God, it emphasizes the close tie with victories in battle or in any other threats. And this would be something that's common to us. I'm not going to read you the passages, but I'll give reference to them. In 2 Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat and his people prepared through offering praise, and God overwhelmingly gave them triumph against invading masses. You know that when you read through the Old Testament, you come across all these different victories in battle. And when, and when they're victorious, you notice that a lot of times before and after, there's prayer and praises to God. You know, they're not sacrificing children to be, to be victorious in prayer. They're not, they're not trying to bribe God. They are, they are in absolute dependence upon God, uh, asking God to deliver them. And God delivers them in all kinds of ways. But it's very clear, I believe, when you read through it, that in all these diverse ways, the power behind all these various types of deliverance is God himself. Now, why is that? It's because the people come and they worship God. They worship him, and they worship him through prayer and through praise. In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel and his friends prepare to face the threat of death through a night vigil in prayer. They, they go before the Lord and ask God to help them to remain strong. You know, if the time ever comes in our country, and I don't know if it's going to come or not, um, you know, so there are those who are convinced it's going to happen. I don't know. There's no way to know if this is going to happen. But a time may come when believers will be arrested for being believers. We need to spend time in prayer asking us, God to help us to stay strong. When the day we get arrested, the day that we're in jail, however long that asks, we, lasts, we need to, we need to depend, upon God, depend upon the Lord in prayer. And when I read stories of several different uh, individuals who spent a long time in prayer, whether it's uh, during the days of the Iron Curtain and the individual was in Hungary or Poland or in, in Russia and they were arrested for being Christians, when you read about their lives, one of the things that you'll, you'll read about always is how much time they spent with God in prayer. And it's not because they were in prison and had nothing else to do. They, they, were, they wanted to, to do right and, and they were dependent upon him because they, everything was gone. They had nothing else. Uh, but they didn't abandon that. When I read today stories of individuals in, in various places in China and Vietnam and Korea who are Christians who suffer, again, one of the things that is saturated in their, in their testimony is prayer and, their, and their, how God answers their prayer and, and how God would, would um, answer the prayers of those that were praying for them. And those are stories that we often like, but we, may, we need to make sure we don't miss the point, which is we should not just be excited because God has done this for them. We, we should be encouraged to pray because we want to see that same thing in our lives. It's different circumstances, but we, we should want to see that. We know that Jesus faced his trials, and, uh, when, and as he did so, he saturated his life with prayer. So it kind of goes back to the same example I gave you of Paul, so now we'll use Jesus. If Jesus, the perfect God-man, living out God's will perfectly on earth, set the example and the tone by coming to God and, and, and coming to God often in prayer so that the will of the Lord would be done through him, then who do we think we are that we don't seek the Lord? It's hard to do. Just so you know, I think I can say confidently, all of us have failed in that area. I know I have. Absolutely. It's hard. It just, it's unnatural. It's because we're born in, in sin. 
So it's unnatural for us to depend upon God this way. It's, it's a discipline that has to be developed. It's a mindset that has to be developed. And even then, you can't sit on your laurels. We, we need to continue to be reminded of this through, through the Word of God and by the Spirit of God. And we should ask God the Spirit to not allow us to forget these things. And so when it comes to maybe some of the individuals in, our, in the lives of our, you know, maybe it's individuals in your family that, you've, that, you, have been, that you are witnessing to, and they're not really seem to be interested in, in, the, in, in, the, in the gospel, I'm not saying it is because of this, but it may be. You're the hindrance. You're not really praying. There's others that we are concerned about. Sometimes we need to do this. We need to say, Lord, I got a family reunion next month. And you know, so-and-so, 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 they hate you. Sometimes they hate me. Lord, I would love to be able to talk about you, and I ask that you would open the door for me. But also pray this, Lord, if you don't open the door for me to verbally explain the gospel, please help me to have the right attitude to love them and to treat them with kindness and to treat them with all the love that I should have for them. So that at least when they leave, they'll say, you know, Bob seemed different this year than he was last year. He's not as cranky. Because you don't want to be the cranky Christian. You don't want to be the one who's in a bad mood, always wants to argue. Don't be that person. Remember, as Christians, we don't have to be angry. We can be happy. We can be joyful. And we can love, we can love our family that are just flaming pagans. Loving them never means that you are condoning their sin. And I think too often we're overly worried about that part of it. Whoever came up with this idea that if you love someone else means you love what they do, I don't know where that came from. Because that's not true. And if someone else misunderstands, you know what? Whatever. After a while, you just you can't, you can't make people believe anything. So just do what's right and treat people with kindness and let the Lord work through that. But ask God to prepare their hearts. And you may be amazed at what God would do. In fact, sometimes we will be amazed at what God would do. Fifthly, when he talks about praying in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit is closely associated with the Word of God. That's, that's what makes it cutting edge. You know, the, with that passage there when you, uh, in verse 17, go back to, uh, uh, you may have never left it, but Ephesians uh, chapter 6, uh, verse 17. He says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. And then, he, and then he immediately says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So there's a close link between the sword of the Spirit or a close link between the word of God and praying. So we pray God's word to men and we pray God's word to God. Our prayers need to be scripturally oriented. And we see that again throughout many passages in the word of God. That's why, again, it's not a bad thing to pray. Like someone may come up to you, whether it's a friend or an acquaintance or someone in the family, and ask you to pray for so-and-so because of a physical problem. There's nothing wrong with doing that, and we should do that. But don't do that and exclude the most important things. We need to pray biblically. And when you go again through the prayers that you see, particularly in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament as well, our prayers need to be theologically rich. And so we, we need to be expressing uh, to God, uh, what we know him to be and how gracious and merciful he is. And that's why it is often really good, maybe best, that when they ask you to pray for so-and-so, 
say, I would love to do that. Can we do that now so they can hear you pray? Now, when they hear you pray, remember, you're not trying to preach to them because you're talking to God. So, you know, don't, don't try to include in your prayer their sin and how they need to confess of their sin. But what you do want, you, what, what you want them to hear, the truth about who God is, that he's merciful, that he's loving, that God may heal, that God may not heal, how much you love him and how much you trust him. And do pray for that, whatever the situation may happen to be, but let them hear you talking to God. Let them hear that. That, that may be uh, very profoundly effective in their lives. Remember, people aren't always going to say anything right away either. It's okay. We trust God. But that's why it's a good thing to do that. Let them hear you pray. In Ephesians, uh, when you read through Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, Paul frames everything he writes in prayer. And again, as we saw here in verse 18, again, it's praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and then again being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So again, prayer in the Spirit is inspired, guided, and made effective to the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit, same Spirit that's active in sealing believers. Um, it is the same Spirit that's building them as a household of God. It is the same Spirit that, that has revealed truth to them. Praying in the Spirit, uh, the Spirit of prayer, uh, strengthens them with power, preserves unity among believers, and it fills them. This Spirit, whose sword of power and penetration is the Word, through whom prayer will be fulfilled, obviously fosters prayer that Christians will prevail in God's will in every spiritual aspect of the armor. So again, the idea is, is, to, is to consciously think about the Bible. And that's why it goes back to the discipline of reading the Bible on a regular basis. It's easier to do that if you read the Bible on a regular basis. You can't make up for a lack of Bible knowledge in three days by spending six hours a day reading the Bible. Now, if you want to do that, you can. But it's more effective if you, can, if you make it a habit to read the Bible on a regular basis for the rest of your life. And what will begin to happen is you're saturating your mind with the Word of God. And it's very, very, very helpful uh, for you if you do that. The Spirit consistently assists us to pray. Romans chapter 8, let me read verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So he tells us that clearly we are weak, and the Spirit of God is there to help us in our weakness. Number two, we don't know how we should pray sometimes. Maybe a lot of times we don't know what we should really be asking for. And there's times when I've prayed, I said, Lord, in this situation, I don't even know what to ask for. This is beyond me. And I'm so grateful that you know not only everything that's going on, you understand what is best. And I'm just asking that I'm not going to get in the way. I don't want to mess it up. I want to be there to help in whatever way that I can. You are definitely praying for that. And then I believe as you continue to pray for them, in time God may grant you wisdom and knowledge and you'll be able to pray much more specifically. But again, we have the Spirit of God within us that's helping us to pray. So we can never use it as an excuse. Well, I just, I don't know what to pray for. Well, well, then at least you're being biblical. You agree with the Bible. You are the one that needs to begin to pray and follow through on what it says. Sixthly, as I've said earlier, every facet that comprises the armor portrays what Christ manifests 
He is as he lives his will through us. Jesus now, in his people, wants to live out all of his values that he so faithfully demonstrated while on earth. Remember that he, you know, there's that phrase we use. We want to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. We want to, uh, to manifest. We want to reveal to others the character of Christ in the way that we live. Jesus displayed his character in action uh, as, as he lived out the practical truth of righteousness. And basically, as he lived out every aspect of the spiritual truth of the armor that's covered here in Ephesians 6, he worshipfully bathed his every move in prayer to the Father. And again, that was a strategic facet of his life, and we need to adopt that. Again, that's why Paul says, to me, to live is Christ. We need to show ourselves to be strong in the Lord. So we do need to wage the warfare against the enemies of Christ in Christ-like prayer. By being strong in the Lord, we can show we are in touch with him, the commander of the troops. We put on the arm of God, maintaining contact in prayer with God. Seventhly, one commentator says this, Every great decision in the apostolic period and in the whole life of early Christianity is sustained by persistent prayer. This persistence is determined by looking to Jesus as the Son, he sought to do the Father's work in, ever new, uh, in an ever-new experience of unity with the will and intention and nature of the Father to receive power for this purpose and to realize that he was hidden in the Father's hand. And that explains it, what we should be thinking about. I, I, whatever it is we're going to do, we want to make sure that we saturate it with prayer. We want to make sure that we are doing it in the way that God wants us to, to do it. Uh, as well as accomplishing, accomplishing what God wants us to do. We want to do so where we are expressing and manifesting the nature of God himself. Uh, So we don't want to do good works out of a sense of cynicism. Uh, We don't want to do anything out of a sense of of somehow mundane duty. It needs to be joyful duty. We should want to do these things because we love Christ. And again, that's going to be generated by our daily dependence upon Christ. It's not something we can manufacture on our own. Eighthly, Paul requested that his readers, uh, that he writes to here, pray for power in his preaching. He asked him to do that, that he would have power. Uh, again, the idea that, you know, when I, when I pray and ask God to bless my preaching, um, I, I don't ask God to help me to be eloquent because I don't think God's going to help me do that. You, if you've ever heard me preach for a while, you know there are times that I can, I can talk too fast, that I begin to stumble over some words, and I can't get them out of my mouth fast enough as I'm thinking them and all that kind of stuff. It's going to happen. What I want God to do is I want God to to work through his word, through however way, whatever I say, in such a way that you are able to understand what the word of God says, that you feel convicted by the spirit of God as to what you need to change, and we move forward from there as believers. That's what we, that's what we want. And so whether you teach Sunday school, whether you teach a Bible study, whether you're witnessing one-on-one, whether you're preaching to a large group, small group, whatever it happens to be, we want to do so as we depend upon his will. We want his will to be done. We want to do so with the same intention uh, that Jesus had. We want to do it in the same way that Jesus did it. And then uh, we want to do so with, with boldness. We want there to be efficacy in, in uh, our declaring the word of God. And ninthly, and I'll end with this, and that is this. We need to consider how we should intercede for all the saints. That's what it says in verse 18. We need to intercede for everyone. We, uh, for them, appropriate prayer will be involved in whatever details are strategic to those for whom we pray. Uh, among the items in such an involvement will inevitably be prayer that they live according to spiritual values uh, that are given here by the armor. Matters like truth, righteousness, readiness of the gospel, faith, the realities of salvation, and the word of God. 
So we know that we can't pray for all believers throughout the world. That's what he's talking about. He's writing to the Ephesians there and wants them to be praying for all the saints there in that church. And so we need to be praying for each other. And, and when you look at the prayer uh, bulletin that we, that we make up that's put out on, on every Wednesday, it'll have the name of, of someone from the church, uh, I think somewhere at the bottom, so that you can, you can cover that and pray for them. The leaders are, are listed so you can pray for them. Those are reminders for us to pray for them. We need to be praying for each other. If you don't know an individual very well, uh, not only is that an indication that maybe you need to get to know them better, but you can still pray for them and pray for them earnestly. Pray according to these things here. That their life will be uh, lived relevant to the scripture. That God will give them power. That they will live out the truth. That they will be convinced of the truth. That God will give them opportunities to share the gospel. That, that they will recognize those opportunities. That they will, uh, that they will act in a Christ-like way when they are in, in situations or in circumstances that might be contrary to what they would like. There's all kinds of things that we can pray for. And things that please the Lord and will be truly helpful to them. And so that way our prayer will always be relevant. In fact, if we're praying and we're focusing on the spiritual aspect uh, of their lives, and our prayers will always be relevant, regardless of what's going on. So you see, prayer has a very strategic role in the effectiveness for the conflict that these believers are facing. And Paul wants us to understand that. So that we then can what? Be strong in the Lord. And every single one of us, again, regardless of age, can be strong in the Lord if we follow those things that Paul has given to us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your grace and your incredible patience with us. Father, you put up with our weaknesses. In fact, you know that we are weak and you know that we're going to fail you and you even know how we're going to fail you. And yet, Lord, your love for us never changes. Your grace will always be sufficient. You're always there for us. Your faithfulness, Father, to us is amazing. Because you're faithful to your promises. So Father, we pray that even though we may be humbled by the things that we've heard, that we will come to you. Even if we feel ashamed, that we will come to you. Knowing that in your presence there is no shame. Knowing that you will accept us because you've already accepted us because of what Christ has done. Father, we ask that you would convict us of the great need that we have to saturate every aspect of life with prayer. Pray, Lord, that we would not just leave here, that we would even never read a book or, or hear any sermon on, on prayer and only feel guilty. I pray, Lord, that we would have a strong desire to begin to implement these things in our lives. So help all of us, Father, to begin today by uttering a small prayer when we leave, uttering a small prayer when we drive home, uttering a small prayer as we think about things throughout the evening. And that, Father, we begin the habit of coming to you often in prayer. I ask, Lord, that you would bless each one who strives to do that tremendously. That, Father, they may be encouraged to move in this way. And, Father, for those who may, once again, kind of put prayer on the shelf, how I pray, Lord, that you would just put a spotlight uh, on their life and that things are not working out well that they will feel very uncomfortable, even becoming discouraged. Not, Lord, that we want to see them suffer, but, Father, because we want them to understand and to sense the importance of depending upon you in prayer and also to know and experience that you will never let us down. What great joy there is, Father, in living for you in this way. And so we pray that each one would have opportunities to experience this. 
<clears throat> on a regular basis. And so again, we thank you, Father, again, for just being so kind. And we do ask these things in his name. Amen.